I really don't like to talk about myself, but this episode needs a little bit of an introduction. So when I was a fresh, young, dumb college graduate, I lived in Colorado. I didn't have a clue about what I wanted to make of my life, but in those five years, I did a lot of stuff. I did a ton of community theater. I found my love for journalism and skiing, and I got my teaching credential in secondary English. And you know, I did pretty well with everything, except when it came to the teaching. I failed. I bombed big time. I mean, the only professional post I had lasted six weeks before I couldn't take it anymore and walked out. Ever since then, I've had a huge respect for teachers and what they do on a daily basis. And while none of my son's teachers have walked out halfway through the school year like I did back in the mid-1990s, I've watched more than a few find new paths. It makes me sad, but I get it. I mean, I really get it. Especially now, you know, teachers are on the front lines. They're in the front lines of real or imagined political controversy. They're on the front lines of COVID. They're on the front lines of school violence. And they're on the front lines of the education system. That's a lot. But last year, a friend of mine from those five years in Colorado quit teaching. She took her passion for learning and creating and changing the world. And she ended up doing like the last thing I would ever expect. And when she posted her accomplishments on social media, it immediately caught my attention. But I'll let her tell you all about it. Tech is here to stay. And with every new business that enters the field, whether virtual or even brick and mortar, you have need for an online presence. So it is not anything that's going to go away in the future. I am Kat Altman, um, formerly a teacher, parent, formerly also a fitness instructor who has recently transitioned into the world of coding. I'm Joelle Castex, and this is the Unasked Podcast. I was a teacher way back in 2001 for four years, uh, worked many countless hours as every teacher does and went into teaching initially because I figured um, this would be a wonderful job to have while having a family. I've always wanted to be a mother and, and I thought teaching would afford me that. I had a lot of friends that had parents as teachers while I was growing up. We would hang out after school while their parent was grading papers or doing what they needed to in the classroom. And then, you know, we'd weekends, we'd go to their house and hang out. And, and so to me, it seemed like a natural fit that combined with the fact that I have always loved working with kids. And so it just is, it, it just was me. Um, very soon <laughs> into pursuing teaching. And this was way back when, even in 2001, way before No Child Left Behind, before it's really become what it was today. Back then, I started to very quickly get an idea of teaching had transformed into something that was not so family friendly, um, something that requires a lot of hours, something that requires pouring into resources, time, yourself. And I realized then that that was not something that I would be able to do with young kids. Um, so I taught for four years, a year in public, and then I taught three years in private, you know, kind of thinking, well, maybe private has some different, you know, you don't have quite all the same standards. Let's see how that'll go. 
um, just again found that a combination of who I am as a person and what the job requires, um, you want to do it well. And to do it well, it takes a lot of time. So at that point, I stopped teaching and decided I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. I didn't want to pay to have somebody else raise my kids. So um, I took that time always thinking at some point I might go back or see where that would lead. Uh, I grew up dancing, loved dancing, found Zumba, realized group fitness was a pretty amazing way to keep dancing. So I decided to become a fitness professional for a while. And um, because that was something I could very much do along with young kids, you know, you can put kids in childcare, I could be involved in their schooling, I could be involved in their lives. And that was how life rolled for quite a while. After starting their young family and sharing a lifetime of shoveling snow, Kat and her husband James decided that it was time for warmer climbs. James, a game development software engineer, began looking around for new opportunities, and when EA Sports offered him a job in Orlando, they jumped. We love Florida and, and are very thankful we made the move. <laughs> I was here. I was... Um, I had just transferred with 24-Hour Fitness. There was only one 24-Hour Fitness at the time. There have since been more, but location was downtown Orlando. And so, of course, I went there because I was like, hey, I can transfer instead of having to find a new job. Um, I very quickly got very involved in that location. And it just so happened that Orlando was the next community to be identified for 24-Hour Fitness um, to build a whole lot of different clubs. And so as it grew, I had more opportunity and was able to teach in, in downtown Orlando, in Winter Park, in Apopka. I was so excited when that one was finally built right near my house because <laughs> that was close. Um, but I had an opportunity to meet a lot of wonderful people to use my passion and my desire to just help people live their best life and to teach adults who are there because they want to be there, not because they have to. <laughs> so it was, it was really a wonderful, wonderful mix for me. I love, I will always treasure the years that I, um, worked in uh, group fitness. So then moving to Orange County and um, we put our kids in there, you know, because this was now going to be our home school and our student who, our son who tends to be the academic student started, he, it didn't work with him. I, I, don't, I still don't even to this day know fully why, but he just, he didn't want to go to school. And so being the mom that I am, like school is his thing. I was like, okay, this, this isn't going to necessarily work. Well, where we located or where we ended up in a COE, we were supposed to have a um, elementary school built by us, but a charter school had come in instead. And so we looked into that and when it opened, we put our kids there. And, and at first it was a wonderful situation. It was, it was really beautiful. I mean, it was, it was so diverse of just all different cultures, all different people from the area. And that was amazing. Like our kids were learning so much. They were making so many friends. Um, but there were just a few things that 
there there was some staff. We we just started seeing staff not staying. Um, not so much that first year, but the second year, there there was some struggle keeping staff, and so somebody had approached me to see if I'd be willing to uh, be co PTC president with her at the school. So I agreed because you know education is a passive passion. I have a foundation in it. And I agreed to um, be the PTC president. And throughout that year, the assistant principal was awesome. Dr. Rafiti, I will. <laughs> she was just so great. She, she'd look at me. She's like, you're not in uniform. And then I have to tell myself you don't work here. But see, in my mind, I kind of I feel like you work here. <laughs> so just kept laying those seeds and implanting because they knew I had a previous teaching certificate. And in Florida there is such a teacher shortage they're just not teachers to be had well that year compounded this was the second year we were at the school and our eldest son his grade level lost every teacher that year um every teacher a couple classes lost two um so a teacher would quit and then another one came in and then they quit. I mean, even right up into May that year, it was just turnover, turnover, turnover. And at that point, I figured, well, we can either pull our kids or I could go back to teaching because I know at the end of the year, the school year, I'm going to still be standing. And even if, you know, whatever teacher I was to them that year, I know I, I knew I wasn't going to give up on them. And so I figured, you know, instead of just pulling our kids out, why not try and make a difference? So I went back to teaching. <laughs> now, this was after No Child Left Behind. So a lot had changed and, and realized, too, I had been in No Child Left Behind. I'd also been in a private school. So this is the advent. Um, standards had been advent, had, had been become a thing when I had first taught. Um, but now there was the advent of IEPs, of the individualized education, of all the data tracking, things that were not there when I originally started teaching. So going back to teaching was not just, hey, I have my teaching degree. I have my sort of old certification. I was certified once in Colorado. I'm just going to jump in. I mean, I, I was able because it was a charter school. I was able to jump into the classroom, but it meant a lot of classwork, a lot of tests, a lot of retraining for all the changes that had happened um, throughout throughout education in this time, um, which I did. I, I became fully certified in the state of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> as quickly as I could, um, which also included in Florida, because there's a, a big, a great need for ESL, English, English as Second Language Learner instruction. One of the ways Florida has solved that problem is by requiring every teacher who teaches reading to become ESL certified as well. Um, and this is something that is kind of hard to stomach from a teaching perspective when we talk about all the reasons that we see teachers quitting and we say those things that have been added to their plates. Um, here I am taking this class, this ESL class that is talking about you as an ESL teacher, you're going to come in and you're going to partner with your teacher in these ways. And I'm sitting here thinking, but I am the teacher. And so automatically that's, that's two jobs 
that I'm having to do in one. And then beyond that, when you have the ESC, because there's never enough, enough, especially in a charter school, to satisfy all the ESC requirements, um, the exceptional students that need extra individualized plans, extra support, there's another hat. One aspect of Florida, however, is it is quite a different educational landscape than Colorado. Um, in Colorado, you have more, oh, you have a lot more of your teachers that are, it, it's the second income of the family. They, they have more of that time to give. Um, for better, for worse, you have a more homogenized classroom. And so you don't have the same struggles that you would maybe find in a more diverse population as you find here. Um, again, better or worse, it, it is really wonderful to get to know lots of different cultures, lots of different perspectives, a lot of distrust and understandably so, uh, especially myself being a white teacher coming to teach in Florida um, to a lot of not white students, there was a lot of trust issues that I had to overcome um, because they're not used to trusting people that are, that they're comfortable with and they've been burned and I get it. I get it. They have often, um, several of my students had felt that they were not ever given a chance, that they were um, just kind of lumped in as the bad student or not really seen for what they were able to um, do academically and socially a lot of a lot of left behind that we're having to wear um, enter data tracking because teachers are now completely evaluated on how students decide to take a test in the spring as to how you're going to do, um, uh, whether you're, what ranking you're gonna get, whether you're, you'd be eligible for steps of promotion or bonuses or whatnot, which there are not many. I mean, when we're talking this, we're talking a couple hundred dollars. We're not, we're not, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not like you see in a, in a traditional business sense. Um, but where you are gonna register, how closely you're gonna be looked at that next year, depends on how a group of, in my case, anywhere from 11 to 13 year olds decided to show up to take a test that I am required by law to sign away my certificate if I look at it. We are never able to see that test. We are able to see the practice material that they put out that's supposedly preparing. But I think that's a, something that a lot of people don't understand the tests that we're evaluated on as teachers, we are not ever able to actually look at. And if we do look at them, we can be fired. We don't even know from year to year how they're changed. I mean, we don't know if somebody's just decided, hey, this year we're gonna make it harder. Like we we don't we don't know. We know the standards that we're told to taught or to teach. I mean, we know the standards we are told to teach to our students. But at least even in some of those practice problems, the wording is very tricky. So when you are dealing with a lot of um, second language learners or those that maybe struggle with reading, maybe they are actually pretty proficient at math, but they're only on, say, and, and bearing in mind I taught fifth and sixth grade, maybe their reading level is at more of a second or third grade level. 
then if they're not able to fully read and comprehend the problem, they're not going to have a good math score. For us, those aha moments in the classroom where all of a sudden you see a kid get it, and whether they're going to be able to do it proficiently on a test or not, you know, deep down, you know they understand it. You know this is something that's going to help them later in life. They now, okay, good, we've got multiplication. All right, where can we go from here? How can we show them it's applicable in life? We finally got something, <laughs> you know. You know, we had that, We that's what kept us going. And when there's appreciation for that and when there's um a little bit of protection of time <laughs> you know, we're, we're able to sacrifice a whole lot because for us at the end of the day it's is this do we think we've done something to this child to set them up to succeed in life and as long as we've done that then we've done our job you know it doesn't matter what we're paid doesn't matter the accolades doesn't matter it doesn't matter um Enter 2020. <laughs> and, and you have an education system that is not technical in any way, shape, or form. Not technical. Um, basically told to turn on a dime and reinvent themselves in the space of, for us, it was a space of a week over spring break. Uh, we technically had two because we kind of reinvented the first and then we just threw worksheets at them that second. But then by the third, it's like, all right, you have to have learned all these learning platforms. You're making everything digital and go. Uh, that's a huge feat. I mean, that that's a huge feat to just learn that on top of teaching anyway. But to have no preparation and to just, you know, sink everything into it. And there, at least for that first, that, that fourth quarter of 2020, you know, we, we were only expected to be on camera a couple hours because it was more like we're giving them more. They, they did give us a little bit of time. Well, the following year, we were, we had half of our students that wanted to come in. We were Florida. So in class was, it was an option for our students. So we had about half of our students who wanted to come in. We had about half of our students who wanted to stay virtual. And um, because of a blood clotting condition that I knew, my mom had let me know that I had, or well, she had let me know that she had, I knew I had a pretty good chance of having it. Um, it's something that they don't necessarily test for without, I mean, I, I had to say, no, I need to know this. Like, I need to know if this is going to be a problem for me um, because it's something they usually will test. Like if we didn't know when I was having children, like it's something I should have been tested for when we were having our kids. A couple pregnancy complications I have, I am convinced Vince now that was probably blood clot related. Um, but I didn't want to go back to a building <laughs> when I have a potential to have a blood clot issue. Um, combine that with at this point I was aided and all of a sudden when students are masked, um, and I'm a firm believer in masks. Like, I, I do think that they can be very helpful. But all of a sudden, students are talking like this. I can't hear what I need to, to be an effective teacher. In case you don't quite get what Kat is talking about, let me explain. When she says she's aided, she means that she has to wear hearing aids in both of her ears. And she's only 44. 
Now, I mean, really, I have near-perfect hearing, and I have a horrible time understanding other people when they're wearing masks, especially those cloth ones. But for her, it keeps her from being able to do her job. And there's another hitch with hearing aids. Although the person wearing them can hear, they lose what's called directional hearing. So for a teacher, that means they can tell the kids are disrupting class, but they can't tell what direction the noise is coming from and who's doing the disrupting. That's every middle schooler's dream. So that 2020-2021 year, I was I volunteered to be one of the, well, I didn't volunteer, I actually tried to quit. And then our principal said, hey, if we can make you a virtual teacher, will you stay? And I said, okay, I, I yeah, as long as I am not in the building, I'm happy to stay. Um, again, it's one of those where I knew I knew there was such potential for kids to be left behind this year. There, there just was. Um, but I also knew that I had <laughs> the desire and the can-do attitude that I was going to make it as painless as possible. Um, so I did. I At that point, they wanted our virtual day to mirror the in-school day. And so I taught from 7.30 in the morning. I mean, you should start preparing at 7, but I taught on camera from 7.30 in the morning until uh, 2.30 in the afternoon. I would offer extra for those because we were, at that point, I had dropped down to fifth grade, but I knew um, some of them would be skipping ahead. So on Mondays and Wednesdays, I'd offer an extra advanced math class to help prepare them to start learning some of those middle school concepts that they might be skipping. Um, Tuesday, Thursday, I would have open sessions for anybody who didn't get it during the day that they could, um, you know, come and have that extra support, more small group or one-on-one. -on -one. And then Fridays, I would have a fun Friday to try and keep that social emotional piece going. You know, we'd either play, you know, we'd play games, we would, um, explore, Sometimes we pick a, a spot on Google Maps and just explore a territory together and just talk about things. But, but ways that we could keep socialization, keep working together um, and, and foster that. So while my day technically ended at 2.30, it didn't end until 4.30 or 5 because there were all these different things. And one of those that if I see a student really close to getting it, I'm going to stick with them until they got it. <laughs> Um, that being said, and, and some of this falls on me, but with all the other things that were required as far as data analysis, we were giving nothing as far as we were basically thrown the Schoology learning management system and said, cool, create your year, like <laughs> from scratch. <laughs> so at four or five, I would then go and create all the curriculum that I was going to teach because it all rested on me. Um, so I found that I was then working essentially from every day, Monday through Friday, seven until nine or 10 at night. Not to mention, you know, having to keep on top of those students that aren't turning in work and parent contacts, um, keeping on top of data tracking and how are we doing, a lot of those extra burdens. Um, and then I also worked every Saturday except for one. And my health started to go downhill on so many different levels. And I mean, by nature of who I am, and this is part of who I am, but also just by nature of when students start struggling, it's the teacher's fault. 
like there is not much <laughs> there is there's no shared responsibility in it um and because there's more to do in any given day than can possibly be done i am the type that i will sacrifice myself to do it and i could only sacrifice for three years <laughs> i did though and i feel i'm so glad to have taught that last year um i i will say the fact that any parent could look into my classroom at any time all i had to do was call a parent and say hey i haven't seen this assignment oh we'll get right on that mrs altman let me you know no problem no worries you know I, it, it was actually a wonderful thing because no parent questioned me that year which i think parents don't understand like that, that's one of the biggest things that takes up all our extra time when there is that distrust. Um, so I ended up quitting after that year. I finished out the year. If I start a year, I'm finishing a year. But at the end of that year, it was, okay, something has to give. <laughs> and my awesome husband was like, you like math. Have you ever thought about programming? <laughs> I was like, no, I haven't. So he, he uh, set me up with Unity. And I think one of the amazing things with programming is there's so many free resources out there. For, for me, when I was in school, coding wasn't really a thing I feel like most women in my school went into. It wasn't really something that I was even aware of. Per se, um, I love my parents dearly, but my parents' attitude toward video games and computers was that's a time hole sink, and so it was not encouraged. And so it's not something I was really exposed to as a potential career path when I was in high school. I, I, I mean, it, it, if you ever have a desire to even try it, Try it. Start start picking up a class. Um, free Code Camp is a great one. Or even uh, Udemy has ten dollar courses that you can you can take. But just start trying it. Start building. Um, I started with uh, create create with code, which was the Unity a, a program off of the Unity engine that also worked with C Sharp software. Um, because James was like, hey let's see if you like to make games. And it was really cool. Like I loved what I was producing, you know, it takes you through step by step. But at that point I was like, I don't understand what I'm doing. Like, sure. I'm typing all this stuff in, but why does it work? Like I need to, I need to understand why does it work? And so from there I took an, a different course. I went and um, I started a Udemy course from uh, in conjunction with CU. That was an introduction to C-sharp in conjunction with Unity. And I took that and I still was like, but I need to know the basics of this language. Like, I, cool. I know a little bit more of why it works. I, I, want, I want to go back to the, the alphabet. I want to know the building blocks. I know how much, being in, a, in education, I know how much if you have a strong foundation, how far it can take you. I was like, I don't want to jump at this level. I need the building blocks. I need from the very basics. So, um, we had a friend that had done a boot camp, and he was working as a QA uh, where my kids are going to school now. And he'd said that he had done a coding boot camp. And I was like, well, I don't want to go back 
and get another four-year degree. Um, I'm 44. <laughs> what can I do now? I've got a lot of great transferable skills. <laughs> Where can I go? And, you know, James and I were talking about it. And I'm like, well, what about a boot camp? Let's try it. Um, so I found Coding Dojo. I looked at several boot camps. And that's, that's another thing I'd recommend to people is if you do decide to do a boot camp, shop around find what's going to match you what what it seems like a good fit because there there's so much and even within coding dojo there were two different programs they had a full-time program and they had a part-time program and for myself being a parent who had completely abandoned her kids all of the year prior i didn't want to abandon abandon them again so at the same time cat decided to try boot camp the entire family decided to make a pivot. Virtual school had a real appeal to her kids, and they did really well. And fortunately, Florida has an option that's been around for decades, not thrown into place because a pandemic forced a traditional school to go online. So when we decided to make the switch, in Florida, we are lucky enough to have uh, FLVS, Florida Virtual School, which is a public school. It's been around for, I think it's 22 years and has a full curriculum. I mean, I think this is part of the reasons we could kind of pivot and say, you're either required to come to school or else, you know, Florida virtual school is always an option because it's been an option traditionally. And um, so we decided, we're like, hey, let's try it. Um, let's try something new let's just let's just try it uh when we when we pivoted they stay stayed um in uh to virtual learning with our charter school and they just found it worked better like they were opening up more they were focusing more and so at that point um let's try FLVS. so we did and their curriculum is amazing and one of the things I love about it most is, uh, especially with middle school and high school, they really run it on a college schedule where they have their class or their lecture times, and then they're working on their assignments separately. So we chose a full-time option, which means they do have a legitimate teacher in every one of their classes. Um, they have their schedule that they have to go attend class and then work and they know exactly because they have a syllabus for every class every semester and they work through what they need to do and it it has just shown them to thrive in a way that i had not seen in the building and so you have a lot of teachers that have huge class sizes with no support and that lends itself to getting to that point of I can't do this anymore I need to quit and it's not sustainable and this is why there has just been an exodus in education I can't tell you how many teachers and educators and medical professionals I saw in my boot camp um, you have a lot of people who have a heart and are willing to sacrifice themselves and give and it gets to a breaking point where they don't feel they can win anymore and they're not appreciated. And all of a sudden it finally hits that breaking point and it's time to move on. 
and it concerns me because we need educators and we need medical professionals. That's why education is important though, because I think we're all going to be learning the rest of our life and we need to learn how to learn so that when we start running into walls and be like, I'm not sure this is really for me, we can make those pivots and try something new. My advice for coding is try it. And I don't mean jump into a boot camp and pay for that. I mean, try some of the free resources out there. Try learning um, even YouTube videos. There was a lot on YouTube for basic things. Come up with a project that you've always dreamed of. Um, one of the really cool things that they say for us is like, hey, if you haven't gotten a job yet, hire yourself. What's something you've always wanted to build? <laughs> you know, start building it. Because for a lot of coding, the more experience you get, that is what's going to be necessary for the job. So if you find that you've started a project, you catch the coding bug, because it really is true. Like if you're meant to do it, it is going to start to consume everything. You're going to be like, oh, wait, I got to figure that out. Oh, wait, but I can improve this. You know, there are all those things. If you find yourself excited about it, then, you know, find an apprenticeship, find a boot camp, find something that can help you take it to that next level because there's always going to be need. Always. We're, we're the, <laughs> you know, we're the future now. The future is digital. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for whoever wants to jump into it. It is hard to go against norms and expectations and uh, eventually you kind of get an idea of something's got to give. Like this, this isn't me and I got to find me and I'm not sure I'm done finding me. Who knows? Who knows where it'll go? Um, one of the things I love about coding is you can code in any industry. So, you know, it's kind of like business in that sense. Every every industry needs business and coding. And so once you've got your foot in the door, um, even if those first few jobs aren't what you want to do, James started in uh, insurance. As a teacher, my heart is to help people. So if I am able to help people through coding, like that's everything, definitely. The Unasked Podcast is written and produced by me. Well, Castex. So if you like what you're hearing, give us, and it's really just me, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you stream quality entertainment. Plus, tell your friends and tell everyone who's a podcast junkie. If you want to learn more about our guests, you can visit our website at unaskedpod.com. And that's also where you can find links to all of our socials and our Patreon page. And if you know of a story that needs to be told, you know, an extraordinary story in a very unlikely place, you can contact me there. Thanks, and until next time.